Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here. It's the Center from Reality podcast. And first things first, sorry if I sound a little hoarse. I think I'm, I think I have a little cold or some irritation. Maybe it's just from the changing of weather. Um, I haven't been getting enough sleep the last couple days, so maybe it's all of that. We'll see. But yeah, if I sound a little bit hoarser, it's just uh, just that. But anyways, it's actually sunny this morning. Weather's supposed to come in this afternoon again, so I'm not going to hold my breath too long on it. Probably will try to get out on a little run or something, but I am glad that, you know, we have some sun for a little bit. I kind of forget what the sun looks like, so I will take it. My dad was down in Mammoth, and he showed me some pictures there, and I thought we had a lot of snow up here in the Tahoe area. <clears throat> Mammoth looks much worse, <laughs> much worse to say the least. And I think at my aunt's house there from the pictures I saw, it looked about like 25, 30 feet. And we're only in March and there's more snow on the horizon. So couldn't we like ship some snow somewhere else? I know other parts of the world have been having kind of a warmer winter. So can we maybe get that out of here? I know France, at least earlier in the season, had resorts closed because there wasn't quite enough. <laughs> there wasn't quite enough snow, so maybe we could find a way to ship some of over that. Maybe that'll be the trade of the future. We would obviously need a way to preserve the snow, but I'm open. I'm open to finding out how because we're at the point where there's so much snow that it's not really even enjoyable anymore. It's just kind of like holy crap, like just end already. It's kind of even claustrophobic. But I'm here down in Reno right now, so I guess I can't complain too much. But yeah, hopefully by, I mean, I guess the reality is, is in the Tahoe area, even into the summer, it's probably going to be a short summer because the snow is going to stick around for quite some time. So moving on though, I wanted to start today by talking about some troubling Tucker Carlson texts between him and Alex Pfeiffer, who is like his producer, as I recall correctly. And basically it's the idea that Tucker Carlson is a never Trumper in private. He shares a lot of the concerns that most of us have about Trump in private. But then when he goes on TV, he's like this character that is a propagandist who supports Trump and all these election conspiracies and January 6th conspiracies. And it's kind of troubling, damning. Of course, I don't know if like Tucker's actual viewers will ever hear about this because we know that Tucker's not going to talk about this. But people like me are just like, God, this guy is more dangerous than I thought. Anyways, before we get into all these revelations, these new texts, I just wanted to add that after John and I talked yesterday about the footage, right, the footage that Kevin McCarthy gave Tucker Carlson, it really does seem clear to me now that Kevin McCarthy gave Tucker Carlson this over 40,000 hours of January 6th footage because he knows that Carlson is a propagandist and that he will spin the truth, spin the narrative, whitewash what happened, and it will help people like Kevin McCarthy who seem kind of complacent, I guess. It, it's better for both of them in a sense. And he knows that Tucker will do it. That's the problem here is he knows that Tucker is this problematic individual who just clearly doesn't care. And it's also, it's good for Tucker because now Tucker has new footage to spin. And it's also good for Kevin McCarthy because if he gets called out by other Republicans, it doesn't matter because now Tucker Carlson is talking more favorably about McCarthy on his show. And Kevin McCarthy's not being attacked by these talking heads on Fox News, and he's not being attacked like Paul Ryan or Boehner or some of these other Republicans who fell out of grace with Fox News. So, yes, it also seems to me like Tucker Carlson's just really trying to bank on that kind of populist, far-right narrative that's centered around how January 6th is really just an attack on normal patriotic Americans, and he's basically mixing this with fear, saying, first they arrested these peaceful protesters, and now they're coming for you next. Of course, it's all BS, but it does work. It's hollow, but it works. Like, 
Once in a while, I'll put on Tucker Carlson. And as good as he is about spinning these things, if you kind of just look at his eyes and not what he's saying, there is kind of like a deadness to him. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but I, I feel like there is just something hollow and dead about him. But he, he is good at doing it. So I guess if you keep making money, you keep doing it. And I am happy to see that, like, Senator Thillis, Tillis, sorry, um, Kevin, or not Kevin McCarthy, uh, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, all the kind of more establishment types have called out Kevin McCarthy and Fox News and have said they don't think this is effective. They believe the Capitol Police, yada, yada, yada. But anyways, <clears throat> excuse me, moving on, it is just becoming so clear to me that Tucker Carlson is a never-Trumper in private and a propagandist on TV. You could say he hates Trump in the sheets but loves him on the streets. <laughs> uh, I'll move on, sorry. Awful joke, I'll stop. But <clears throat> we just have to sit back for a moment and remember that he has pretty much become this primary source of pro-Trump political punditry and that Trump, I mean, Tucker has the most viewed cable show right now in the country. So this makes him a really important person. Like, he has the ear of a lot of the conservative side of the country, especially the more Trump MAGA side. And he's kind of just like giving them their dopamine rush involving all these election conspiracies and all these other conspiracies. Like, he's kind of just filling the drug prescription for a lot of people that need this and believe it. And it's just a cycle. And it's irritating because I remember, oh man, probably like two or three years ago, Tucker Carlson was actually like one of the, like he was always kind of a propagandist in a sense, or at least kind of a populist, I guess would be the better way to put it. But sometimes he said things that made sense. Like I would sometimes actually watch him and go, hmm. But it seemed like the George Floyd death, the COVID stuff, and then into the election in 2020, he really just became this character, just became a true pro uh, propagandist. And this is all problematic because... His on-the-air rhetoric is this conspiratorial person who acts like they don't know better. And it's just all a lie when you contrast it with his private conversations. The Washington Post here notes in quotes, He professed to passionately hate Trump and yearned for the end of his presidency. Those private communications, which were released as part of Dominion Voting System's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News, show how Carlson struggled to publicly support the president's false voter fraud theories that he privately scoffed at. Now, of course, Fox News has said these comments were taken out of context and that Dominion is trying to silence Fox's free speech and this whole lawsuit is an attack on free speech. I don't think that's true at all. <clears throat> We have to remember that Dominion has lost a lot of credibility, a lot of revenue. They've been attacked. We also have to remember that Fox News has just been openly lying. So I think this is more meant to expose Fox's actions and get some accountability towards them, which I am for. Again, like I don't think they should just get rid of Fox News or something. I don't think that's effective at all. But what should happen is that Fox is held accountable. And I think that's what's important about this case. So anyways, I want to go over some of the contrasts here between what Tucker has said on the air and what he said in private. I've taken some screenshots of different text chains that we have access to. And I'll just say that most of the conversations that we have are between Tucker Carlson and his producer, Alex Pfeiffer, who I hadn't heard much about previous or prior to this, but he's definitely in on this because obviously he's the producer of the show and we see how the show goes. So yes, and Pfeiffer has not really released any statements about this. Everyone's trying to be pretty quiet about this. <laughs> and I'll read a string of messages that show how these two are always kind of colluding about how difficult it's going to be to, you know, vouch for Trump and say all this bullshit on the air. And they're also like kind of 
talking about how stupid Trump is at times, bad businessman, dangerous, lots of different things. But we're going to start with a string of messages that happened when Fox News was going to announce that Biden won in Arizona, and they're basically discussing how they should cover it on TV. So I'm going to read them. Alex Pfeiffer says here, The more days this election drags on, the worse it is for Fox. At this point, it would help the network for it to be called ASAP. Can't imagine what weekend coverage will be like. But I guess Nevada being called is, is the worst as Arizona then contributes to win. PA win is cleanest. Tucker Carlson responds to Pfeiffer, True. At this point, we're getting hurt no matter what. Pfeiffer then says, It's a hard needle to thread, but I really think many on our side are being reckless demagogues right now. I don't know exactly how you want to handle all of this. It's going as poorly as possible. Tucker then responds, of course they are. We're not going to follow them. The sun will rise tomorrow and we want to wake up intact. I always think that. Now, okay, so this sounds like they're saying, hmm, demagogues are bad. People are being reckless. We need to just call this and move on. Sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Well, (laughs) hold my beer for a second because on November 5th, on the air, Tucker said this. Normal people are being paranoid. Americans who love this country are beginning to fear it. Why? We know exactly why. Because shutting down legitimate discourse and inquiry always has that effect. It destroys social trust and it sets the table for awful things to come. So let's stop this right now. Slow down. No hasty calls. Our system works. And it's worked before. If people air concerns, resolve the concerns. Don't call them names. Don't sweep those concerns under the rug. Don't shut it down artificially with unelected news anchors. Let our system work. And see, he's really effective here, and he is a, he is threading the needle. I don't agree with it, but he is threading the needle because basically he's making it sound like the people just have questions about the election. It's a free country. We need to figure them out. Don't attack people for just wanting our system to work. He's threading the needle very well. But it's against what they're saying where Trump is being a demagogue and other people are being demagogues because they're slowly becoming demagogues as well. Moving on, though, another example. The Washington uh, Post notes here in quotes, Later in the text exchange between Pfeiffer and Carlson, the two ridiculed Trump's business background. But Carlson seemed to acknowledge that Trump could wreck their careers and livelihoods if they covered him incorrectly. And I'll read those messages now. So, or it's just one, just one message, but Alex Pfeiffer says, on the bright side, Trump has a pretty low rate at success in his business ventures. Tucker then responds, and I love this, that's for sure, all of them fail. What he's good at is destroying things. <laughs> he's the dis- undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us, though, if we play it wrong. It's so obvious. I mean, that's, I think, something a lot of us have said. But then I've seen so many times where Tucker's talked about how effective Trump is. He's a great businessman. Fox News always talks about how he creates jobs and business. So I do love that, though. What he's good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. I just love it. I just love it. But moving on, another example is later in November. The Washington Post notes here in quotes, on November 10th, 2020, days after news organizations called the election for Biden, Some conservatives criticized Carlson for not mentioning election fraud claims on his show that night. Carlson told Pfeiffer in the text that he hated the issue, but said it was a mistake to have ignored it. So again, they're they're worried about ratings and, you know, basically competing with other networks like OAN and Newsmax that were covering this in full throttle, right? And so Tucker, and then realized it's been a mistake not to do it. So here's these text messages on November 10th. They're talking about this mistake. Alex Pfeiffer says here in quotes, you told me to tell, sorry, you told me to tell you if we are getting attacked on Twitter, so I will. 
Many viewers were upset tonight that we didn't cover election fraud. Tucker Carlson says, yeah, probably should have. Alex Pfeiffer then says, yeah, I didn't get why we didn't. Assumed it was some sort of decision not to. But it's all our viewers care about right now. Tucker says, mistake. I just hate this shit. And so he's again saying it would be a mistake to cover it. He's sick of it, but they also know that others are. And if they want to be continued as the number one cable show, they need to do something. So then after this, Tucker and his producer agreed to start covering one of the conspiracies. This one was that dead people had records of voting. Or, or that this was the one where there were, there were a few dead people that, or people that had died that cast votes for Joe Biden. I've never actually seen it be proven on a mass scale, but it was one that was going on. And I guess Tucker and his team found that this one was a little bit less crazy than some of the other ones, like voting machines. So they decided to go with it. And so after they're talking about mistakes covering this, Tucker says, I hate this shit. This is what he said on the air. So was there voter fraud last week? That's a question we've been working on since election night. Just asking questions, by the way. Anyways, he, he continues. We've tried to be careful and precise as we report this out. In moments like this, truth really matters more than ever. False allegations of fraud can cause as much damage as the fraud itself. Jesse Smollett hurt more people with his lies than any actual hate crime. And the last thing America needs right now is more damage. So we want to be accurate. What we're about to tell you is accurate. It's not a theory. It happened and we can prove it. Other news organizations could prove it too. They've simply chosen not to. The position of corporate media across this country has been very simple. There was no voter fraud. And now we have to remember that they think it's irresponsible that other networks are covering the voter fraud because they don't think it's, uh, it exists. Tucker said it was a mistake, but they also say we probably should cover it. And they do because they need to keep up. And as we know, the right-wing media in the country seems to kind of be going off the rails. Now, before we move on, the last one I wanted to share is probably one that pisses me off more. It's, it's one that is more damning. It's more damaging to our country, and it shows how Tucker in private is such a different person, but he's, he doesn't really seem to care about the country. This is a guy who's not a patriot based on some of these. And basically, in private, Tucker acknowledged that Trump not going to Biden's inauguration was dangerous. He understands the dangers of Trump's actions and the precedent it was going to set. This is in January now, so we're moving ahead. There's more text, but we're not going to go through all of them. I just wanted to show some of the highlights here. But in this chain, in, I guess, what, late January or mid-January, Alex Pfeiffer says, maybe you already knew, but Matt Gates told me Trump isn't going to the inauguration. Tucker Carlson, part of it is blacked out, but then he also says, I'd heard that about the inauguration too. Hard to believe. So destructive. Hmm. Then Alex Pfeiffer says, I don't know, but yeah, we could. And yes, I really hate what he is doing. Millions believe every word he says. Tucker then says, it's disgusting. I'm trying to look away. Look, Tucker says it's destructive. He says it's disgusting. Disgusting. Uh, Alex Pfeiffer says they, he hates what Trump is doing. Millions believe every word he says. Like, these two know the threat of this, but look, they're not doing anything about it. And a show like this, in my opinion, I don't care if it exists somewhere, but it shouldn't be called news when you have the proof these guys are completely lying. One, <clears throat> excuse me, one little extra one that I found pretty interesting too is a longer thread. This is now back in November, again, mid-November. I think it was November 13th, I want to say. And this is our little extra one here. So Alex Pfeiffer says, Trump needs to concede. There wasn't enough fraud to change the outcome. 
he's starting to do real damage to the party. Tucker then responds, that's for sure. He's only good at destroying things. Any idea what he's going to say at four? Alex Pfeiffer says, trying to find out right now. Tucker says, kind of a pivot point. Alex Pfeiffer says, yep, there's some new data on Dominion that looks very shady, and I can see him hanging his hat on that. Tucker says, it had better be bulletproof. He's playing with fire. (laughs) And then Alex Pfeiffer says, he's talking about vaccines at four, but I'm sure he'll talk about the election too. Now, I find this one kind of fascinating because they're saying, um, with this uh, Dominion defamation stuff, basically, Tucker says he's playing with fire. It better be bulletproof. Now, I think if you were Dominion, you would really like the access to those texts right there because that could really hurt this Fox case. Anyways, look, all of this just shows me, like I've already said, Tucker is playing a character on TV to get views, to get ratings, and to get money. That's pretty much it. And he knows what he's doing. I think we've already all known this. Like, this is really nothing that surprising, but the fact it's actually out there is is kind of alarming to me. Now, the problem here is that I, I bet if you told, like, a big Trump Fox viewer... If you showed them this, they would probably say, oh, well, there's no actual like video of this or recordings of this. This is just text messages. Someone could have just made this up. There'll always be an excuse. And the problem here, too, is that rightfully so, the Fox anchors are not talking about this lawsuit because they really shouldn't right now. While it's going on, most companies would do that. But the problem with that is that the average Fox viewer still probably doesn't know what's going on with it or how serious it could be. And so... While I'm talking about it, while a lot of people that are not very pro-Fox News are talking about it, I think a lot of Americans still probably aren't really aware of how serious this could be for Fox. One, one other thing I'll just add here, too, before we move on, is that it does seem like, according to other information we've got from Dominion, that people like, for example, Maria Bartiromo, who used to be sensible, I don't know what really happened, but people like her, it does seem like they actually believe this election fraud stuff There's a lot of Dominion documents that discuss how she really wants to push for this stuff. And she does seem to believe the election was stolen. So, again, on Fox News, you have a lot of different characters. Like Sean Hannity, Tucker, Laura Ingram. They don't seem to believe this. But then Maria Bartiromo does. And, like, that just always brings up the question to me. Like, who who, who is worse in this situation? Is it someone like Maria Bartiromo who believes the election stuff so she brings on the kooks about it? Or is it the people like Tucker Carlson who know it's bullshit but still repeat it? I don't really know if either one is much worse because they're both on the air and people watch it. But it's something I think about. Are the grifters worse or the grifted? And I guess it's really not a competition because, like I said, they're both on the air. Anyways, I could probably rant about Fox News all day, but there's enough people talking about that. So I want to fly us overseas now for the remainder of the episode, or at least for this next segment. Um... Basically, there's kind of a, I guess you could say, a, I don't want to say a conflict, more like a row or some sort of argument going on between Turkey and NATO. And it's involving allowing Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Now, these two have been neutral and tried to stay out of these affairs for a long time. But as I'm sure all of you are aware, there is a conflict going on in Ukraine and a lot of other states in the region are concerned about Russia. So... Putin, ironically, has pushed Finland and Sweden closer to NATO, and his whole goal is for NATO not to grow, but he's actually indirectly making NATO grow. But anyways, in this case, Sweden and Finland want to join NATO, and Turkey, which is already a member, is fighting it. And today there was a meeting held between the Finnish and Swedish diplomats, 
and the goal was to try to convince a delegation from Turkey, from the capital of Ankara, that their countries met the conditions for NATO membership. And just a side note, Finland and Sweden are trying to join NATO in kind of a joint cooperation. So like they're trying to join together is how I would put it. And they have actually done a lot of concessions. They have done a lot of commitments. They've agreed on a lot with Turkey to try to join NATO. But at the end of the day, Turkey keeps denying it. And I think Turkey's playing politics here and a lot of other things. But as of today, it looks like this current meeting that was held didn't go well still. <laughs> it looks like Turkey has, again, blocked the membership of these two countries, even though both have made commitments mainly to stop terrorism and work with Turkey to send convicted terrorists back to Ankara. And see, the thing here is that the PKK is a Kurdish... I guess you could say kind of a Kurdish revolutionary party. It is an armed Kurdish group, and it's kind of been a pain in the ass to Turkey for a long time. As we have talked down, I mean, as we've talked a lot of different times, the Kurds are not popular with Erdogan. There's a lot of conflicts he's waging against them in parts of Syria and Turkey. Iraq as well, I believe. And basically, he thinks that countries like Sweden and Finland are too welcoming to the Kurds, and so he wants some of them to be extradited back to Turkey. And they've, I mean, it's not like Finland and Sweden are welcoming to terrorism. I think it's more of a specific issue with the Kurds and it's more politically popular for Erdogan, but it's kind of a mess. And Turkey, I mean, Finland and Sweden can't really do too much more anyways, but political notes, Politico notes here, kind of giving some more background. It says here in quotes, while 28 out of NATO's 30 allies were quick to approve Sweden and Finland joining the alliance, the parliaments of Turkey and Hungary have yet to ratify their membership bids. Big surprise, Turkey and Hungary, right? Shocking to me that they're both still in NATO, to be completely honest. Shocking to me that Hungary has not had more criticism. It's not been kind of alienated. But anyways, the article goes on to say, furthermore, in quotes, Ankara, Stockholm, and Helensky signed a memorandum outlining steps the sides would take to address Turkish concerns on arm exports and terrorism. This was at the Alliance's summit in Madrid last summer, when NATO leaders decided to invite Finland and Sweden to join. Now, part of me thinks that even if Finland and Sweden like completely crack down on terrorism, which I don't think is a good idea, it's not advisable, but let's just say they did, I don't think... I don't think it would do anything. I think Turkey would still block membership because I think there's a lot of different moving pieces here as to why Finland is not particularly thrilled. I mean, Jesus, I keep mixing up the names as, as of why Turkey is not particularly thrilled about letting these two in into the whole situation. And also, I mean, I think the elephant in the room here is that both Hungary and Turkey have connections to Russia and have interests in blocking these memberships no matter what. And Turkey, I think, is just using the terrorism Kurdish situation happening in these countries as kind of an excuse or a political reason. There's a guy named Paul Levin who writes in the Foreign Policy Research Institute, and he notes that there are actually other reasons kind of related to the Kurds and terrorism, but they're more political. Two stand out of the four that he mentions. The one is that it is an it is basically advantageous for Erdogan, who is struggling with a tough re-election campaign, and he needs to appeal to hardliners. That's one. The other is that Russia has a lot of leverage over the country because a lot of Russian forces control parts of Syria where Erdogan needs help in fighting the Kurdish movements there. And Levin writes here in quotes, 
Erdogan is facing a tough re-election campaign in the run-up to this summer's elections. The PKK issue has deep resonance with large segments of the Turkish population that Erdogan and his allied ultra-nationalist party, the Nationalist Action Party, need to woo. Taking a stand against European countries perceived to be too laxed on terrorism resonates with his domestic audience. So that definitely checks out for me. That makes sense. He also notes the other reason. While the Turkish-Russian relationship, in quotes, is complex and involves a great deal of tension, the Russian leader has leverage over Ankara. Turkey has advertised another military incursion into Turkish-led areas in northern Syria, but since the areas in question are patrolled by Russian or Russian-allied Syrian troops, this de facto requires Russian approval. So I guess these are like kind of related to the Kurds, but they're more for like rallying the base in a lot of ways. And they're more about Putin, I mean, not Putin, Erdogan staying in control. And I think that's maybe the, the key to a lot of this right now. And I think there's another side to this as well. And it actually is in Finland and Sweden. I, like I said earlier, initially Finland and Sweden were applying together but I've read some reports now, including the one by Levin, and he talks about how Finland and Sweden may try to apply separately now because Finland, I think, has a better chance of getting in in Turkey's eyes than Sweden. Turkey is being specifically harsh with Sweden because in January, so like about two months ago, there was a Danish far-right politician who burned a copy of the Quran in Stockholm, which was right near the Turkish embassy. And this pretty much pissed off Turkish officials, set it all back, and... I'll just say, like, it's not proven yet, but the timing is interesting for this to have happened right when Sweden and Finland are trying to join, and I think it, I think it was maybe a political setup to scare Turkey away and hurt the Swedish government in trying to join NATO. I say this because a lot of the far-right parties throughout Europe, but really in places like Sweden, they're either pro-Russian or at least somewhat sympathetic to Russia and Putin. I don't think a lot of the far-right movements in that region are the ones saying we need to support the Ukrainians and get aid to the country. So burning a Quran near a Turkish embassy could be seen as enough to kind of negatively inflame things between the countries. And because of this, you know, Turkey has all these really kind of extreme requirements, I guess you could say. And for example, like Turkey wants Sweden to crack down even more on these types of actions, on speech against Islam, whatever it may be. But it would be nearly impossible, from my understanding, for Sweden to really do much more because Sweden has a fairly robust system that protects free speech, freedom of association, and it would need to basically violate its own free speech laws or completely change them in order to do what Erdogan wants. And that's why I think Erdogan keeps like demanding more because at the end of the day, he's never going to go along with this, which is, I think it brings up a bigger question about Turkey's role in NATO and whether you should have a country that clearly is just trying to stop this for internal political reasons. I, I would also say that I think this kind of highlights the difference in these countries where in Sweden, they really can't crack down on a lot of this because it would be antithetical to democracy and free speech, while in Turkey, Erdogan's like, why can't you just limit this? Like, this is what we do here. And it just kind of shows quite a dichotomy between the two countries, really. Um, I just think, I kind of go back and forth on whether I think Sweden and Finland will ever actually be in NATO, but it could take a while just because of this. I mean, 
I don't think anyone would be surprised why Hungary's doing it as well, right? Like, Hungary is very pro-Russia as well. Seeing these countries join NATO is not what—it would not be good, because they see this as an issue of NATO versus Russia. So, right now, nothing is really changing. I think—I do, I do think that we, we have this earthquake, right, that, that happened in Turkey. Erdogan is in trouble— I wonder, I mean, the U.S. doesn't want to get too involved in this by any means, but obviously Erdogan's been in hot water because of basically crony corruption and crumbling infrastructure and neglect kind of led to the earthquake being as as destructive as it was. And I have to just wonder if the United States could maybe provide weapons or aid to Erdogan's government, kind of try to appease him almost so that maybe we can talk about bringing, bringing Sweden and Finland in. But I don't know if that would really fix the answer of this Kurdish diaspora, which is in Sweden, or people like Fethullah Gulen, who is a Kurdish uh, leader, who is, I believe, still in the United States, who is being protected there. So, like, but I, I do think maybe if we can like try to cooperate with Turkey and give them some incentives to maybe work with us, it would it would be worth considering. But right now, this is still being held up. And it just reminds me that Turkey is an important country for our military bases, and it's kind of seen as a bulwark in the Middle East against some of the extremism. But I guess what happens when that bulwark against extremism is slowly just becoming a problem? You know, it's a conversation we need to have. Last but not least here, I just wanted to briefly give some thoughts about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And the reason I bring this up is because it blew up, I want to say, back in September— And there's a lot of uncertainty about who or what military did it. And just to put it into perspective, you have this giant pipeline that runs from Russia through the Baltic Sea to Germany. So it goes off the coast of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, kind of near Kaliningrad, which is a part of Russia next to Lithuania. And then it just goes kind of below Sweden and into Germany. And back in September, basically, on the morning, according, according to reports, on the morning of September 26th, there was monitoring equipment out of Denmark that detected a seismic event, which a lot of people say was equivalent to like 500 kilograms of TNT. That's about the same as a car bomb from what I've gathered. And this was around Bornholm, which is an island off of Denmark. And at the same time, there was a drop in pressure recorded in Nord Stream 2. And so there was then this plume of methane bubbles detected at the surface. And then 17 hours later, another leak was detected in the northeast. And the blast blew several holes, according to The Economist. And it blew up the steel and concrete casings of the two strings uh, comprising the Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1 pipelines. And... This was kind of a big deal at the time because obviously we're in the war against Russia, the Ukraine's invasion by Russia, whatever you want to call it. And this, both these pipelines are operated by Russia's state-owned gas company, which is called Gazprom, and it was delivering gas at the time. Now, just for the record, Nord Stream 1 had been operational. Nord Stream 2 was completed in 2021, but not actually had been operating yet. And then we have to remember that Germany suspended the project on the eve of the invasion, so back in 2022, February. And 
it's been kind of interesting because a lot of people believe America did it. Like the Russians have pointed the finger at America. Joe Biden, I mean, it doesn't help his case because Joe Biden had basically warned that if Russia invaded Ukraine, they would bring an end to Nord Stream 2. The United States, by the way, has opposed it for a long time. So, of course, Putin's going, see, see, we invade and then you guys blow this up. And then in February this year, according to reports, there's an American journalist who had an anonymous source saying that American Navy divers planted explosives on the pipeline. Americans have denied this. Of course, this was an anonymous source, so it's hard, like really difficult to back that up. Of course, there's also speculation that it could have been Ukrainian involvement, which would be more likely to me than American involvement. But then at the same time, if Ukraine did it, you have to wonder if the United States helped them. Now, there is reporting that kind of backs this up. On March 7th, ARD, SWR, and Die Zeit, which are German media outfits, kind of like, you know, media stations like we have in the United States, they all reported that the German police had identified some yacht and they thought it had been used to transport explosives to the site where this Nord Stream 2 bomb took place. The boat, according to reports, was hired in Poland, but it was hired from a company that is operated by two, uh, two Ukrainians here. And according to the reports, in quotes, six people used forged passports to sail from Rostock, Germany's Baltic port, almost three weeks before the explosions. So then, you know, if you went to that port, you could obviously, you could obviously just go straight up into where you were, they were going to bomb it. So there's questions about that as well. And apparently, the, and then The Economist notes in an article yesterday that these German reports, in quotes, coincided with revelations in the New York Times that American intelligence officials suspect renegade pro-Ukrainian groups carried out the attack. And then this article also makes it clear that even though they think there were pro-Ukrainian groups that could have carried out the attack, they don't know if it was exactly Volodymyr Zelensky's government or the Ukrainian military. The Economist also notes that a follow-up report on March 8th, so yesterday, suggested that NATO governments covered up suspicions of Ukrainian involvement to prevent German public opinion from turning against military aid to Ukraine. I think that's kind of fascinating. And, I mean... Occam's, I guess you could say Occam's razor to me would probably say that it's Ukraine just because they've seen Nord Stream pipelines as a security threat like from day one. And then you have this invasion. Then you have German outlets reporting this. You have the, the, the Times, a British newspaper talking about it. You have the New York Times talking about it. You also have seen a recent increase in Ukrainian sabotage activities on airfields in Russia and Belarus. I would not be surprised if there's groups inside of Ukraine that are doing these actions either with the approval of Zelensky's government or without. Now, now my, my thing too here is that the reason I want to talk about this is because if you listen to any outlets or podcasts or read any articles by groups that are less interested in helping Ukraine or kind of non-interventionists, they will say that well, they will kind of use the idea of Ukraine blowing up the pipeline as an idea that the United States and Ukraine are trying to stop diplomatic discussions. To me, this has nothing to do with that. To me, this is just another example of kind of the fog of war. It's the idea of war is, un is the realm of uncertainty, right? There's 
basically, once a war goes into play and actions start spiraling out of control, there's just a great fog of uncertainty. And this is one of those events that I don't really think it would surprise me if the Russians blew it up as a false flag. It wouldn't surprise me if the Americans, along with our allies, did it. It wouldn't surprise me if the Ukrainians did it. Basically, as The Economist explains in an article, there's lots of blame, but no hard evidence. And I think we're all wrapped up on, in using this as a propaganda tool. The non-interventionalists say, see, the United States and Ukraine are trying to keep the conflict going. The Russians try to blame us for it to justify going further. And then the Ukrainians do it because, well, they feel threatened by it. It just seems like all of these are suited, like, like suitable solutions, but there's just not enough answers. And so it's, it's almost like one of those things where you can speculate as much as you want. But it just shows me that the fog of war happens and sometimes the best propagandists are able to use it to their advantage. So I keep seeing stories about this. I've kind of been quiet about it for a while just because there's not, there wasn't really much to say. But then I was looking into these reports from the German media outlets and it is interesting. And it's interesting the Germans are talking about this. It also wouldn't be surprising if there was an operation by Ukrainians or NATO members to try to keep Germany involved by seeing the pipeline blow up. So... I don't have any concrete answers. I don't think anyone does, but it just shows me all these strange things that keep happening in a conflict that has a lot of uncertainty around it. So anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, whatever else there is. It was sunny earlier. It's starting to rain. So I'm going to end it on this note. Watch the rain come before it gets dark. So anyways, I want to thank you guys for listening as always, and I'll be back. Take care.